Welcome to the High and Low Podcast. I'm your host, Bravo Bravo Ducking Bravo. Today we are going to get into the recap of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, the most recent episode that I'm going to only refer to as Erica needs an apology from people. She won't let it go. That's all we heard about throughout the entire episode is how she needs an apology from people. She, you know, and Crystal opened the door to it. Little did she know what she was doing when she said, I'm just sorry, you know, I added to your pain. Erica liked it. Mm. She liked that little taste of an apology and she hungry for more, which is really, really tough to watch considering the entire world just watched The Housewife and the Hustler Part 2 showing just the the world's worst behavior from Tom, really from her too, you know, throwing the money and being just so ridiculous about spending money as if it had no value. Then finding out that her husband has been taking money from people who need it the most amongst us and really not having much of a compassionate reaction to any of that. And still fighting for the earrings slash the value of the earrings, even though we know those were bought with client funds. What I'm saying, it was a tough episode to watch. Also, in random Bravo news, I saw that Heather Gay settled a lawsuit that she was dealing with with Beauty Lab, where this very famous photographer who had his work featured in like, you know, Vogue and other magazines, found out that she was using his photos as her after shots or for her advertisements for things at Beauty Lab, like, check out what a hydrafacial can do for you. And it's this guy's like photo of a model or something. And he's like, uh, so he comes to her and he tries to settle it, but his way of settling it was being like, give me $450,000 for using my photos. And so she didn't want to do that. And she refused to believe she did anything wrong. They have some kind of settlement now. Who knows what she paid him, but she learned a lesson. She learned a costly lesson. And then there's Kim Zolciak, who her lawyers are coming after her for unpaid legal fees. Bless it. Fix it, Jesus. It's so bad. It's so bad in Atlanta for the Zolciaks. I don't know what they're going to do. And again, why do I feel stressed? And they probably don't. I'm washing my hands of it until the next drama-filled thing we hear about. And I'm seeing that Portia has confirmed that she's coming back to Atlanta next season, which has me very excited because i that's going to be a good season. There's also a bunch of dirt floating around about her current husband, about I guess he did like some forged checks and some stuff like that in his past. We're talking about the 80s, y'all, the 80s. But either way... Slight red flag there. I haven't looked into it, but I'm seeing the, the news articles come out about it. And I think it's something to do with his immigration status, but he's married to her. I have a lot of questions I don't have the answers to yet. But the best Bravo news is that Danny Barnes, who was featured in The Housewife and the Hustler Part 2 as a gentleman who was exposed to toxic chemicals working at Lockheed Martin, there is now a GoFundMe for Danny Barnes because his cancer has come back. And so I was so happy to see that Kimberly Archie did start that for him. She reached out to him first from what I saw in the description to get his okay for it. He was never going to start one for himself, right? So it's nice that she did that. And I hope that, you know, people are donating here and there what they can. Most of the normal people will never see a dime. I don't expect anyone to ever see a dime who's a normal person who was stolen from by Tom Girardi from his estate. There's not going to be enough money to go around. He owes something like $300 million to lenders and banks and, and all these major players who are secured creditors. And Danny is not a secured creditor. Many, many people are not secured creditors. So, so happy to see that GoFundMe go up. I will put a link on my link tree on my page 
for you to go and check that out. Either donate or just spread the word. That's helpful too. But let's get through it, shall we? I tried to record this podcast yesterday, but I took a lot of, I self-medicated before I watched Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, knowing what I was going to see. And then I tried to record the pod. I was too irritated. It wasn't clear enough for me. I came, I was like, I got to walk away from this. I like to just try to bump, 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 go through it. Not a lot of rambling. It was a lot of rambling. In this episode, we open with Crystal's daughter doing her makeup, and it's adorable. And that's the kind of glam we like to see. Then we see Dorit playing catch with Jagger, and, you know, she's like, you got to catch those, Jagger! And they're throwing it back and forth, and I'm thinking, where's PK? And it just reminded me of, like, Field of Dreams, where the kid's like, when I have a catch... Because I guess, you know, they never, they didn't do that enough growing up. And I'm like, where's PK to have a catch? But at least Dorit's doing it. Then we see 8.5 Anne and she's being very annoying in her 8.5 Anne way, planning for a party. Now, I've realized something about 8.5 Anne. She never seems authentic to me because she always seems on. Do you know what I mean by that? Where the way I'm talking to you right now, just my tone of voice, the way we're having a back and forth where I can't hear you, but you can hear me. <laughs> That normal kind of conversation. She never has that. It's always very like, oh, great. No, right over here. Mm, wonderful. Like, it's just really like almost like she's acting like a child actor where it's just too much. It's very weird. Like, I think she's doing it for the camera. I get even in her confessionals. She's not relaxed. She's very like calculated and focused and trying to seem super cheery. I don't like it. If we were at a party and I met her, I'd be like, mm, mm, mm. I'd be like, I don't think anything she just said was real or that she even knows how she really feels about things. She's just on. She's just acting. And speaking of acting for TV, Erica is seeing her TV therapist, her reality TV therapist, who's been seen on a lot of reality TV shows. And they do a flashback and they're talking about all the progress she's made. So they're showing her in 2021, crying, talking to the same TV therapist about how she was so afraid. And now she's on cloud nine. She's loving it. She's like, life's not great, but it's better. Well, let me do her voice. Life's not great, but it's better. And then she's talking about her Vegas residency. She's got a lot of people to make proud. I want to surprise expectations. And then her therapist is going into the fact that like she used to have this very wealthy husband. And the therapist says, quote, unlimited funds and resources, which is so true. She absolutely had unlimited funds and resources, but not from the husband. It turns out it was the victims paying for all of that, but moot, right? We don't need to focus on that. Let's move on. And Erica says in her confessional quote, right or wrong, good or bad, the man encouraged me to be here. Okay. And again, that's hard to listen to and hard to watch because in the documentary, her lawyers wanted to make it seem like Tom was the worst guy in the world. And he wouldn't let her wear jeans and blah, blah, blah. And yet Tom, all the footage we've ever seen of him and all of his friends and the people who work for him talk about how proud he was of her. I, I'm just saying it's odd to have just watched the documentary and seen him be painted as a control freak monster that she was trying to escape from. And then we turn on the show and she's saying he encouraged me to be here and I had unlimited resources like guys. It's really an exercise in not going mad. We just have to try to take it all in and not go mad and yell things don't make sense. Because they don't. They don't. So she and the therapist are going on and on and on. And Erica's like, well, you can take risks when you have someone like Tom in your corner. And that is true. And she says, quote, Tom was my safety net. So I can walk on the highway. I'm like, well, the victims were the safety net. <laughs> so that's kind of, they caught you every time, didn't they? 
Always more victims to just bleed dry. But we flash back again, lots of flashbacks. Flashback again to the 2019 crying scene. We all remember this, where she's in the kitchen with Tom. They're sitting at a little table. And she's like, thank you. Because he had just told her that he was proud of her. And uh, they're holding hands. And she's thanking him for all the, the support and I'm sure you know, monetary support as well that he's given her over the years. And now she's recently in the, in the flashback, gotten the role as Roxy Hart on Chicago and Broadway. And so that's what she's super hyped about in that flashback. And now she's hyped about the Vegas residency. And then we get into the really insufferable stuff where she starts telling her therapist, complaining to her rather that, well, I won a nice little appeal the other day. Did you win a nice little appeal the other day? Because we went over what that is. So again, don't let someone rewrite history. What she won was a judge saying, because the victims, you know, paid for these earrings, these are not part of Tom's estate because they never belonged to Tom. So the the judge was saying, I agree. You know, the bankruptcy trustee should not have taken them as part of the estate because they're not part of the estate. They weren't bought with Girardi money. And so she's celebrating that. And again, I don't know if she's lying to herself or us. We can't know. But she starts spiraling to the therapist, talking about how she really wanted the ladies to be congratulating her. And her therapist is really just talking her down like, well, you can't you can't just expect that from people and blah, blah, blah. And it's so insufferable. It's so hard to watch her say that she just wants them to acknowledge her win when all the victims ever wanted was her to acknowledge them. It's just a cycle of sickness that we're in. Well, they were quiet as a church mouse when I told them about my appeal. I wanted their support and I got judgment and criticism. Yeah, so I think that's the therapist actually said that, that she got judgment and criticism instead of support. And we do flashbacks to Kyle in her hat saying, you know, you're not showing compassion to the victims. And then Erica talking about how she's never going to get what she's looking for from the women. And that's absolutely true. Just like we're never going to get what we hope for from Erica. And her therapist's answer to it all is like, just keep doing the work, keep doing the work slash keep paying me and bringing me on TV. And if you learn anything over the last two years, <laughs> and Erica laughs, she laughed like Predator. Have you ever seen Predator? It's one of my favorites. Predator's got a very distinctive laugh. And that's how Erica laughed. It was like, ah, 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 ah. It was like that. Kind of sounds like a kookaburra as well, if you're aware of the Australian kookaburra bird. It was a cross between Predator and kookaburra. And the scene ends with a therapist saying, well, you know, who, who's got your back and who doesn't? And Erica's like, mmm, like that's really profound. And as a palate cleanser, ooh, like mint ice cream between courses, we go to Sutton's house. Oh, never mind. Sutton's horse. <laughs> I can't read my own handwriting. I was high. And maybe Sutton was too, because she shows up at the stables to, to see her horse Santos. And she's like, oh, there he is. Look how good he is. Like, oh, that's the wrong horse. My horse has white hair. And I was like, oh, I love you. You're such a treasure. Oopsies. Oopsies, wrong horse. And she gets out and she got a little riding clothes on and she's carrying a big old black Birkin. But she's kind of, she uses them the way that I think they were intended to be used, which is just casually and in a setting with horses. Because let's not forget that Hermes was originally supposed to be like a line of horse accoutrement accessories type things. So a lot of the bags that these people in Manhattan are wearing, they were like a, a bag for your horse brushes and stuff is how they were originally designed to be used. It's very odd. And her assistant is so funny. He's got his camera up and he's gonna. He's like, walk this way because she gets on the horse which is adorable to watch her get on the horse. And she's very like nervous and it's a new horse and we get it. It's a new horse, y'all. She's taken her horse out for its first 
real ride and she's doing a trot. And her assistant's like, trot over here, trot over here. I'm going to get video. And it really was like stage mom energy. It was like he's excited for her and proud. And she really reacted like a kid would. She's like, let me focus, please. So she's all tense, taking it out on, on the stage mom assistant. So Kyle shows up and she shows up in her favorite kind of sweater cardigan, which is a brand called Ala Nui. And I did a dive on them maybe like two years ago. They were like doing some real heavy cultural appropriation. I won't get into it right now. But um, she loves that brand. And those cardigans are, I want to say, like about $1,200 a piece. And Kyle walks up and she says, well, hello, beautiful. And Sutton's like, hi. And Kyle says, I was talking to the horse. And I was like, nice joke. Solid joke. And they laugh. I was like, good delivery. But then, of course, Kyle starts talking a little crap to Sutton and she's like, well, she doesn't say it to her face because she wouldn't dare. But to the camera in her confessional, she's like, do we know if Sutton's ever ridden a horse before? Like just making fun of the fact that she was a little nervous and she's, you know, it's her first ride on her new horse, Kyle. She's like, she looks like she did when she rode the bull in Vegas. I'm like, well, you know, just because you walk like you just got off a horse doesn't make you the expert here. All right. And I really do think Sutton's immense wealth does bother some of the ladies. And I was thinking, what if she just let Santos poop in a Birkin bag in front of Kyle? Wouldn't that just, you know, like they have this thing on TikTok. It's like, what do you think would almost do in somebody from the Victorian era? You know, like using a microwave in front of them or like any of the technology we have now. And I think for Kyle, it would be like doing direct harm to a Birkin. And it would almost be worth it. I think it would be worth it, especially for Sutton. She can afford to have Santos poop in a Birkin in front of Kyle. I'd pay to watch it. Not a lot, but I'd pay. But they go over and they go to a picnic table and Avi like helps bring her stuff because they brought like a basket of carrots and they fed one to, to Santos. And rightly so. He knows his place in this world. He just grabbed that carrot without any please or thank you and they laughed about it. So she's got this thing of carrots and she's got her little, her little Birkin and they go to sit at a table and then she's like, okay, go do stuff, Avi. And they laugh and he and he walks off. And I'm like, they're just so interesting. They have a fun little dynamic. I hope he's happy. I hope he's having a good time. I think he is. He gives the camera some fun looks. It reminds me of the assistant in the show, What We Do in the Shadows. I highly recommend it if you don't watch it. It's on FX. I think they're going to do their last season this season. But one of those vampires has an assistant and they have a very funny relationship. And the assistant is always looking at the camera like that, like The Office. And that's what this reminds me of. So Kyle and Sutton are sitting on their little picnic table and they start reflecting on Spain. And of course, Sutton's talking about how emotional that trip was for her. And Kyle's like, I know. And I'm like, do you though? Because again, you talked some crap in a confessional and an after the show that really negated everything good that happened in Spain from you. But we move on. And Sutton says that she texted her ex and his name is Christian. Christian. And she texted him like, hey, before you leave, I want to say goodbye. And she's very sweet and she's saying she she knows he has a lot going on and it's a big promotion that he got, which is why he's moving to London and she wants him to be happy. But at the same time, it's a really big deal for her to, for him to move away because I didn't know this. He lived just right down the street from her in Bel Air. So he was like physically nearby and like mentally and emotionally, he was like a safety net that was nearby for her as well. And her kids, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a big deal for the whole family for him to all of a sudden just pick up and move to another country. And Sutton says, quote, if I fail, I knew he'd be there. And again, I'm thinking physically and metaphorically. And she's like, now I'm going to be on my own. And Kyle, I swear, I don't know sometimes. I'm just going to go with my jaded soul telling me that I think Kyle is is kind of poking at Sutton because she's like, 
how long have you been divorced now? I, and I think she's trying to make it seem like you're not on your own yet. Oh, really? All of a sudden you're on your own, but you haven't been on your own for the last X number of years. And I'm like, be quiet, Kyle. But Sutton says it's been like six to seven years. Kyle asked if they ever go to therapy or have went to therapy. And she said, no, they never did. So Kyle starts going off about how she and Mauricio have been in therapy. And it's been a lot. And Sutton says like their issue was that her husband's career really took off. But she sort of stayed in there in the same spot she was in. I'm sure she was doing like all of the kids stuff and the house stuff and the family stuff. And meanwhile, he's turning into this like major player in his career. And then Kyle jumps in and she wants to make very certain that everyone knows that's not my situation. My situation is we're both taking off, <laughs> equally taking off. And we're like, OK. So Sutton amends it and she's like, OK, well, yours is like this. And she does her little hands like moving upward in a V like, OK, you're both taking off. All right. And then we get a Kyle confessional that, again, to me, is like just footage to show before a, a judge or a divorce court. And she's talking about how she's been with Mo since he had nothing. And we're like, we know, Kyle. And she says um, that they had Farah and Alexia, I believe. And he had just lost his job in fashion. And he came home and was bawling. And they show flashbacks to a party that they had for the agency when they told the story in front of a room full of people. And he was crying and she was crying. And she said, well, we should get our real estate licenses. And I'm like, again, this is good for court. So it was your idea to get the real estate business going. And then this is where I'm going to call BS. Ring, 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 ring. Who's calling? I'm calling BS. Because she says it was a big risk. A big risk. And I'm like, but you're totally negating the fact that you had Rick Hilton as your brother-in-law who had a gigantic real estate firm and he took Mo under his wing. And as far as I can remember, the story was like that he helped train him, gave him leads, clients. He got very good at his job there. And then years later, he went out on his own and that was the rift was like, instead of keeping all those good clients and staying there, Mauricio left that agency and went out on his own. So I balked at that. It was a big risk. Was it? You had a, a, an amazing spot to move right into. Yeah, you still have to do the work and go out there and show the houses and remember the facts and close the deals. But it was not as big of a risk as just any one of us who would be like, yeah, I'm going to try real estate tomorrow. And then she's going off more for the divorce court. She's like, I've been a great wife and mom. I've supported him. I turned down opportunities. And I don't want to do that anymore, you know? And, she's, and then we're flashing back to her talking to Sutton, right? And she's like, I don't want to turn things down because I feel like the kids are almost, you know, out of the house. And I don't want it to just be, I have nothing when they're gone. And I totally get that. I think everyone should have their own thing. And she's saying in her confessional again, like, I want to feel like he has prioritized me as much as I have prioritized him over the years. And she's going off to Sutton. And she's like, I did all the pickups and the drop-offs for the kids, the doctor's appointments, sports, school. Like, I want to do things for me now. And again, you should. I'm holding a lighter for you, Kyle. I want you to do things for yourself now. You know what I mean? We all should. And she says to Sutton, it feels good to be independent. Absolutely it does. Again, I'll say what I've said before about Kyle, which is that she didn't have the same typical, in quotes, life experience that most of us have. She didn't go off on her own at 18, detached from her family to go make her own way in the world as most people choose to do, whether you stay living by your family and you take on a job where you don't know anyone or you go to college where you're not sure what's going to happen there. She got married. 
she had, you know, children and wife duties and house duties and all of that at a pretty young age. I think she had Farrah when she was 20, 21, either way, young. So she didn't have that go off on your own journey at a young age. She was working, working, working a lot of her youth. And so for her to now have this freedom and independence I think she is enjoying it as she should. I'm like, you know, we get it. I feel like all the viewers of the show and the people who have watched Kyle over the years, we absolutely get what she has done for Mauricio. You don't have to show me anything more than the episode. Ugh, I'm going to feel sick. But the episode where she was, oh, mm -mm. the episode where she was cutting his toenails and I cannot even believe that we saw that. Mm -mm -mm. I don't like feet. I don't know if anybody's put that together yet. I don't like feet. And Beverly Hills always wants to show me feet, like in intimate ways, not just like a foot in the pa in the passing. It's always got to be up into toes. Mm -mm. And I, I think this was just maybe two seasons ago. She was cutting his toenails on camera. And he was still being his goofy goofball self where he's like, you're cutting them too close. And I don't like that. And I was like, you give her whatever she ever wants. Like that level of man maintenance tap out me tap out I will I would rather work two jobs to afford to pay for pedicures for the man that I choose to be do you know what I'm saying if that's what if that's what the what is needed I can't do that like that's my equivalent of like I don't do windows it's like I don't do toes I don't but Kyle did she was in the trenches the toe trenches and um I can't believe they didn't play that b-roll that's what I would play in divorce court excuse me exhibit a and the judge would be like Give her the, give her everything. <laughs> Ew, now that I feel sick. We move on to Garcelle and her son, Jax. Both her sons are there, but this is focusing on Jax. And they're doing like a PSA kind of commercial thing, partnership. I'm not sure what you want to call it, with something called Cyber Smile. And it has to do with people being bullied online. So they're working to raise awareness for Cyber Smile. And they have a GoFundMe that they're starting for CyberSmile for $10,000. And so she and Jax are preparing to go on camera and record a message. And so she's telling him, like, practice your lines. And Jade, the other little boy, comes down. Little boy. They're, they're in high school. But, you know, to us, they're little boys. And Jade comes down and he's holding the cue cards with the verbiage on them that they have to say. And he's being silly behind him, like making faces and jiggling them and stuff. And so that's a funny moment. But Jax did really great on camera, I thought. He did well. I've seen some adults who can't do lines on camera as well as Jax did. And so they did that. And she's talking to them afterwards about how she, how proud she was that Jax is taking this negative thing that happened. And we all remember this, right? We know what we're talking about here, I hope. It was the season, the ill-fated season when Diana was on and somebody went online and paid bots to harass Jax and the Bravo sphere went crazy. We were all so upset seeing this young man who's just the teenage son, a minor of one of the cast members of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills being targeted maliciously. These bots were saying horrible things. And let's be clear, the bot accounts were all doing it, but somebody programmed that. Somebody paid for that to happen. And that was how toxic Beverly Hills was for like two to three years. I think it was the, the height of the worst of the worst I've ever seen it. And I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was like, it was like so many people that it could be. And poor Garcelle didn't know who to trust. And she did an investigation. And of course, Diana came out and was like, I'm doing my own investigation. 
but Garcelle is just saying how proud she is of her boys. You know, they, they're kind, they're respectful, that she's just so happy that they came through the other side of that. And when it all happened, Jax handled it really well. I think he went online and said, like, hey, like, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm not dealing with this. And I think he made his, you know, his page private for a while, which is the only thing you can do if someone is sending that much hate to you. It's, it was awful. It really was such a, a terrible thing. I can't, I mean, just thinking about it now, I'm going back to it and I'm getting really upset because the show should never be like that. None of these shows should ever be like that. And what bothers me now that I'm really thinking about it is that I believe somebody came out and said like that it was Bravo fans they were blaming. They were like, well, Bravo fans just get too upset. So I'm like, don't you dare because we would never. I don't even know of a Bravo fan who would go after a cast member's child like that and pay bots. No, I really don't think it was a fan. I really don't. I think this is the toxic warfare of spoiled women with a lot of money and resources. And one of them or one of their hangers on paid to have that happen. And I really thought we were going to find out the answer at one point, but I don't know if we ever will know. But anyway, that show, like a show got so negative and dark for a while. And I think that's what happens when, when you allow the show to go in those directions. And I hope it was a lesson, not only for the cast members, but also for the producers of like, that's not fun. Guys, let's stop this. Being horribly mean to each other and having these clicks and the Fox Force 5, you know, the Bloods and the Crips and fighting on the shows like that, it does not, nothing good comes of it. You don't put anything good into the world doing that. And nobody wants to watch it. It's supposed to be fun. We're supposed to have a good time. I don't want to go in there and be like all tense and like my team is fighting another team. And no, we're all supposed to be on the same team of like fun and silliness. And yeah, some occasional spats and conflict resolution, but not like I'm going to physically take you down and ruin your life and make your kids cry. No. But anyway, okay. So Garcelle says she's very proud of Jax. And then she says to him, um... I know you've been wanting to take Uber rides and I haven't let you do that on your own. And so I think if you take an Uber and I know where you are the whole time and when you get dropped off, okay, we can start doing that now. And he was very excited and it was very sweet. And I'm so glad that she and her boys have really have turned that into a positive from a horribly negative situation. Then we see our sweet Sutton and she is on her second date. At a bar. It looked like a bar anyway. And the guy's name is Steve. Remember Steve? He's got a full head of hair. He's kind of like gray fox. And he was very jovial, very nice with her and asked her to see her again. Now, my favorite thing about Sutton is that she likes to bring her own mixer. She likes a grapefruit juice. And so they walk into the bar and they have their nice greetings and they sit at a table. And she takes this little tiny bottle of grapefruit juice out of her bag and she mixes it with her drink. And he comments on it. And this is where we have the back and forth of like, what is that bag? And it says Celine on the front. He's like, Celine Dion? And it's, you know, a $2,600 Celine belt bag. And she's like, no, it's the brand called Celine. And I refuse to believe that he doesn't know that. But it was a very good ad for that bag because my criteria when I buy a bag is will it fit a beverage? Because I like to have a beverage on me almost at all times. So I was like, noted. The belt bag, even the small one can fit a beverage. And this man is handsome, but he's very, he's very into her. And I'm watching her the whole time to see if she's into him or not. I just, can't, I don't see any signs that she is, or she just plays it very cool, which I get and I understand, but they get up and they're going to play darts. He's being very funny and he's laughing and he's trying to like really engage her and she's pretty reserved. And they're laughing and he's like, you know, when are we, when are we going out again? Or when am I going to see you again? And she literally choked. She actually was like, <laughs> like she coughed and joked. 
So I think he's too forward. I don't know. I think she needs more of a dance, you know? And then we go to what I think is one of the most awkward scenes that I have ever seen on any franchise in all my years of watching every franchise and every episode pretty much. And it's Mauricio and Kyle at the bar in their house chatting. A husband and wife that we've seen chat many times before. But all of a sudden, I feel like they're two strangers. And Kyle has the ick times a thousand about her own husband, you can tell. And this scene, I feel like Face Reality 16 did a really good post about it where she literally broke down the series of icks that Kyle got. Like every time she recoils at something Mauricio says or does, there's a separate little section for it because there were many in a row. So he's getting them drinks and he pours her a beer, but he's having a glass of wine. And when he pours her the beer, here's how it starts off bad. He pours it the beer and there's maybe like two inches of foam, inch and a half. We'll be nice to him. We'll say inch and a half. And he pours it in this big beer glass and she's like, oh, you know, I kind of wanted it the way they do with the restaurants. And I'm like, I know, because I've poured many, many, many a beer at a restaurant. I would never give you that kind of foam at the top. It's called a head, but I was trying to be clean about it. And, he, and he's, he's like, no, no, that's actually good. That's the way you want it. So I'm like, you're gaslighting her. She doesn't like it that way, but you're going to tell her that's the way she, that's the way it's the good way. I'm telling you as a years long server that I would never give her that much head. Stop trying to give Kyle head. She doesn't want your head. So it starts off bad and she drinks it anyway, but she's like <laughs> mumbling. And my dog just mutters when she's not happy. She's like, mm. and that's Kyle reminded me of that. It's almost like, almost like the Marge Simpson mm, when she's just putting up with stuff. So she just moans a little bit. She's like, mm, grumbles and, and drinks it with the, you know, foam. And she says to him like, okay, well, and she's trying to get the conversation started, you know, like, okay, well, we're in therapy and I think it's, it's good that we're in therapy. And she's doing like the summary, the summary scene for the camera where she's like, this year has been really challenging for us. And he's almost giggling. He kind of is giggling. He's one of those people I don't think that can take serious stuff seriously and just wants to giggle things off through life, which I appreciate that, but She's not giving the same energy right now. So try to meet her where she is, Mo. So he giggles like that and he reaches out to like rub her arm. And again, she's not feeling it. So this is ick number two. And so she starts talking about the therapy and how, how hard it is. And he's like, no, but I, th I think it's been fun. Ick number three. And she's like, it's not, I wouldn't call it fun. We're not having fun in there. And so she's just sipping her beer again. And then he starts going off with his version of their life where he's like, well, you know, I mean, we've been, uh, we're in a way better place now than we were. And like, we've been married for 27 years. And like, of course, we're going to have our ups and downs. We have a lot. We've never had more going on in the 27 years. He's chewing things. I can't remember what it was. He was like eating some kind of bar snack that they have while he's trying to talk about, object to what she's saying and how to have his own thing. And so he's like talking with his mouth full and the look on her face. I cannot even tell you how over it she is. Tell me if you disagree. But watching that, I was just like, she doesn't even want to be having this conversation. She doesn't even want to be talking to this man right now. And she's like, I'm going to let you finish that bite. So she's pretty much telling him, like, stop talking with your mouthful. You're talking like Cookie Monster with crumbs shooting everywhere, please. And that's ick number four. And this has all happened within, I want to say, 45 seconds. We're talking about every 10 seconds we got a new ick. And so she says to him, like, you're off doing all the stuff. Like, I'm not going to stay home and just shop or whatever. And I'm like, well, you will, but you just want other things to do too. Right, right, right. 
And so then Mauricio does a, a very quick uh, commercial pitch for the agency where he's like, yeah, I mean, we've got like, uh, uh, you know, this many offers in this many cities and this many agents and da, da, da. And I'm like, great. Thanks for the metrics. And, you know, we're going to be empty nesters soon. And that's and Kyle does not like that. Ick number five. And she's like, not yet. We aren't. We're not empty nesters yet. We're not. We have a while. And then we cut to her confessional and she's like, I'm not going to stay in, you know, something I'm not happy in. And something that I wouldn't want my daughters to accept, I'm not going to accept. And I'm like, she's really done. If you're bringing the perspective of what if my kid was having to deal with this and what I, she's so done. And we come back to Mauricio and he's like, and we've never stopped loving each other. And then Kyle's reaction. And she's just like this huge sigh and sip of the foamy beer. Ick numero seis, six. I'm telling you, I've never seen anything like it. The whole thing was awkward from beginning to end. I don't see how he's not picking up on every cue that Kyle is giving him. Or maybe he is and he's just trying to ignore it and keep moving. But it was really bad. And he's obviously either in denial or thinks that it's no big deal and it's just normal married stuff that they're going to work through. And she's, I think, if she, was, if she was talking to me, if I was Mauricio, I'd be like, she's done. I have, I have gone past the tipping point here. I'm talking to a woman who is telling me she wants to start a new chapter of her life. But every time she's talking about that and being in therapy and the things that she wants out of life, he's like, we're fine. We're fine. We're going through stuff. So he's kind of making her point for her. And per usual, I'm watching the scene and I struggle with what's real and what's not with Kyle because I know, I know that she only presents things on the show that are very sort of curated about what she wants to share about her life. I hope and I assume that this is we're watching is real. I also say to myself, for a couple that's been married for almost 30 years and that usually has their ducks in a row, there's a chance that they may have discussed that this was going to be part of their plot line for the year. And maybe he's just that awkward to where he's still even knowing that they're going to talk about it on camera isn't good about doing that. But there we were at the 36 minute mark. I clocked it. Anne finally shows up 8.5 Anne, in a real way, not just a snippet of her from the vignette in the beginning. And I was like, all right, now we're 35 minutes in. Give me Anne. And they show Anne getting ready for a diamonds and champagne Mother's Day event brunch. She says 20 plus people are coming and she wants to make it really nice for moms. And she wants to make up with Crystal. And so she's going to have everybody over to her house. So she's running around and getting ready for that. And then we cut to Crystal. And it was the kind of cutaway where they show some B-roll of mansions and they play a song. And listen, it's no criticism to the people who made the song. I just can't stand it because of the way that they are slapping us around with it on this show. I'm going to do a horrible rendition of a song. It's like, it's going down. It's going to take the crown. They remember our names. And I think mine was actually better, but that's what it's like, okay? So all of a sudden that comes in out of nowhere after seeing 8.5 and get ready for the thing. It's going down, gonna take the ground, remember And then we see Crystal, literally a 15 second clip of Crystal getting her glam done, talking to the people who are doing her glam, saying the event she's going to, which is the Mother's Day brunch that she's looking forward to trying to work things out with 8.5 and, and then B-roll in. It's going down, going to take the ground. Remember our names. And then we see Garcelle and Garcelle is in her glam and she's getting ready to go to this thing, talking about how she's going to go to this Mother's Day thing. 
literally she's on for again 15 20 seconds it's going down I'm gonna tick the ground we hear it again more b-roll and it was at that point that i got up to get more gummy because i said what are they doing to me i feel like i'm going insane and that's really why i couldn't record the pod when i wanted to and i blame the, i blame the song because i wrote down that was three times in less than like a minute that i had to hear that three times so now we're 36 minutes in, all right? And now we finally see Dorit. And I'm like, Dorit, that's not a good sign. We're over halfway done with this episode. You're below the fold. You didn't make above the fold. Show's almost over. We finally get Dorit on there. And what's Dorit doing? Oh, she's getting glam. And she's FaceTiming with PK, who's paying for the glam. And she's asking him, hey, when are you coming home? This is the scene that, you know, we made fun of last week where uh, he says to her, like, you're not my mother. When she says like, hey, pop it when you coming home. But she says to him very nicely. And this is the context we didn't have when we saw that little clip. We didn't know that she's saying to him like, hey, it's Mother's Day in a few days. Are you going to be home for Mother's Day? Not just generally when you're coming home. It's like, hey, the one day a year when you're supposed to celebrate me, the mother of your two youngest children, will you be home to celebrate this day with me and the kids? And to that, to that rational, normal question is when he says, you know, it's not really a big deal here. Like in England, in the UK, like Mother's Day is not like a thing here. So like I just it's I have things to do. To her credit, she comes back at him and she's like, well, it is, you know, it is a big deal. And he's like, you're not my mother. And she's like, I'm not your mother, but I'm the mother of your two small children. I just wish that she had put in any kind of burn after that. But He's like, I will, love. I will. I will try to get home, love. And we'll see if he actually does. But now the glam is making sense. Like if he was not going to come home and he was going to be sassy about Mother's Day, fine. Rock it till the wheels fall off. Book the glam every day. Why not? Just kidding. They're in it. They're in it real deep. I wouldn't spend any more if I was her. It scares me very much how much they owe to the IRS. Scares me, not them, though. Hmm. Now we go to 8.5's house. Brace yourselves. Again, she just annoys me, and I finally figured out the whole thing with her just seeming fake all the time. And she's walking around her house with a little, you know, glass of champagne or whatever. And she's like, hi, this looks great. And I'm like, who is casting? <laughs> who is casting for Beverly Hills? Can we have a conversation, please? Because I guarantee you that I have been watching this show maybe for longer than that casting person has been alive. Never did I think that we would see a housewife like 8.5 Ant. She's just so annoying and brings nothing to the table and has just been so terrible. I just want to have a conversation, a calm, calm, I'll keep my earrings in. I just want to have a calm conversation with whoever cast her. But she's walking around her house and she's in mean girl mode. To me, it's like classic movie mean girl mode. It's like watching Regina George, just like, hey, mm -hmm, this is going to be so fun, isn't it? I'm like, I don't trust you. I don't like when you talk, you make me nervous, like everything's going to be mean. She's just fake. It's just very fake. But outside, in front of Anne Marie's house, we see a car pull up, and out of the car comes an emerald green ostrich, it appears anyway, Birkin bag. And so we know immediately that Kyle has arrived. And sure enough, her little bitty legs jut out after the purse, and she hops down to the ground, and horse walks in. She's in an all-white outfit, and I really, really like the top, because I love a puff sleeve. Call me Anna Green Gables and with an E because I love a puff sleeve top. So I just stopped what I was doing and I looked it up, of course. It's $330. It's by Allison Olivia and it is faux leather. And then I was just like, no, I'm not putting on faux leather. Not flop sweating 
in a faux leather $330 top. So in 10 seconds, I fell in and out of love with that top. And she has on clear sunglasses. Now, does anybody else remember in the early 2000s, there was a fad of clear sunglasses where they were just like a tinted color, like blue or pink or orange or whatever it was with like a logo in the corner. I guess those have come back. I don't know what purpose they serve because they don't really block anything much, but she has clear sunglasses on. So she's walking in and they've got like welcome trays of champagne and and things like that. And she says, oh, no, thank you, because she doesn't drink anymore. And I was surprised that they didn't have a non-alcoholic option. You know, what if somebody is just doesn't drink at all or if what if they're expecting or who knows? But they didn't seem to have that. So she walks in with no drink. Then we cut to Sutton, who's preparing to leave her home. And she's got a dandelion yellow Birkin. And so I'm like, it's a Birkin off. And uh, her assistant makes her a drink, a very strong drink to take with her (laughs) for the ride to 8.5's house. And if you don't think that I would be blasted, Baja blasted, if I had to go to 8.5's house, I would as well. And so I get it. I was like, just give her the bottle. She takes a big stiff drink. (laughs) It's like this big old, big old cup. And she brings a roadie with her on the way there. Like, I don't drink anymore, but I would absolutely be, I would be on anything I could grab, anything anything I could, you know, grab from my gummy drawer. I would grab it and and chew it on my way to 8.5 Ann's house. Back at the mediocre mansion, we have Erica putting a yellow diamond on Garcelle. Erica has shown up and she's very Barbie core with a hot pink uh, outfit on and whatever. And she puts a $1 million canary yellow, looks like diamond. It's as big as your thumb on Garcelle. And she's like, that's the chicken. That's the ring, I tell you. And Garcelle's like, oh, this is beautiful, but this is the kind of ring that you got to give a BJ every day for. And as expected, Erica says, gladly. No, really. And we're like, yeah, we believe you. We know because you did that. We're sure. We get it. That's your whole shtick. Work the shtick is your stick. We know. So then because she can't just let it go and she can't move on and this is going to be the hill that her positive PR dies on for sure she starts going on and on about her anger that she dealt with at the the Spain trip saying goodbye to Merce and throwing the white wreaths into the water and talking about her issues with the other women and how nobody's apologized to her and that Crystal you know apologized to her a little bit and I'm just like oh my god Like, I thought this is what you paid your therapist for. You talked to your therapist about this, didn't you? We got to hear about this at this event. I'm already at Anne's house. What more do you want from me? But thankfully, Crystal and Dorit show up. So that's a nice change of scenery for a moment. And Crystal is wearing like a beautiful red dress. Her hair's up. It's adorable. And Dorit is wearing a very interesting outfit. It's gingham. And it's almost like a jumpsuit. It's belted, but with some chains too. I think there was a chain on there. And only when she gets close enough do we see that it's got like Chanel print on it. Chanel's very big with these ladies at the moment. And even Garcelle is wearing a necklace and it's literally this thing on the front of her throat. It's a choker, but like in a real way, it's like an inch thick metal that's maybe four to five inches wide. And it's just in the front of her throat and it says Chanel. And then Dorit comes in with her giant like jumpsuit of Chanel with her hair up like she's going to rap in the 90s. And I was just like, this is so interesting how hard these women ride for Chanel. Because earlier in the episode, in the opening scene with Sutton and her Birkin and she was at the horse thing, Kyle shows up and she has a hot pink Chanel bag. Now, Kyle has never really 
used Chanel that much on the show. She's pretty much Burke and her bust, you know what I'm saying? So now I'm thinking in my mind, they're planting Coca-Cola left and right. Is the Chanel a plant too? Who's in on it? What's the grift? Who's getting paid? I'm always wondering. But I didn't even have long to fixate on that because then we cut back to the entrance and we see Sutton getting out of her car with her yellow Birkin and her roadie. And she's wearing heels. She has put on really nice shoes and she's wearing a long dress. And her heels have, they got to be four inches. And I want to say it's like cork or wood, but hard to walk on for anybody, let alone Sutton carrying a big old drink. And then a Birkin. See, and this is reason 79 why a Birkin is not practical because it doesn't have a strap. There's no crossbody strap. You lose an appendage with a Birkin. You say to yourself, all right, one arm is going to be not functional for the evening. Go ahead, go ahead, put it in the crook of your elbow and see when you lose circulation in your fingertips. So she's got one arm useless to her. The other one carrying a roadie. She's in a pickle. And she's saying gently to herself, I wish there was a handrail. And I'm like, I wish there was too. I wish one of those guys that are holding champagne at the top of the stairs would put the tray down, come down and hold your hand and help you up the stairs. And there really is no railing. And Anne's house is one of those houses where you have to go up a bunch of different stairs to get to the front. And I'm, oh, I'm so nervous for her. I was very tense. I almost started sweating watching her try to traverse these steps in these giant shoes with a long dress to where she had to like bend and pick it up so that she wouldn't trip on it. And she's just healed. Her ankle has just healed. It was treacherous. And so, of course, you know, they want to offer her a drink. I'm sure she says, no, she's got one in her hand. It's like, no, we don't want your drink. How about your arm, though? How about you just come down here and help her get up those last few steps? They didn't. She just had to get up there. So she walks in. She's saying hi to everybody. And 8.5 Anne, I don't think is a good host because she made Sutton try to feel weird about her drink. She's like, um, can we get you a glass? <laughs> is that a you brought a drink in? Okay. Well, we're going to get you a glass. Okay. And I was like, oh man, Sutton probably tried to bring her own drink so she wouldn't get poisoned. It's not going to get by Anne. She beelined over there, took the drink right out of her hand. Oh, well, Sutton. But just kidding. Her version of poisoning is just going around and talking poop for the rest of the event of like, oh, Sutton brought a roadie. Did you see Sutton? She brought a big old drink in with her. Sutton brought her own drink. Did you see Sutton? Sutton brought her own drink. She brought her drink and I had to go get her a glass. How's this glass? That glass better. I'm like, well, per usual, Sutton did something interesting. And then your job is to just try to make fun of that. And that's all you got. And then Sutton did something that I think should go down in the the burn hall of fame where she says, no, I, I brought my own drink. Y'all... They can go ahead and they can drink the Corbell. Ooh! Knock in the champagne. Her horse wouldn't drink Corbell if it was the last liquid available, okay? But that was so funny. Oh, that made me laugh so hard. Looking down on the, on the champagne brand at the champagne brunch. Oh, that's the kind of squabbles I'm here for. I'm, I'm here for the Gilded Age type snootiness of checking checking people who are trying to check the wealthy. You know what I mean? Like, duke that out amongst yourselves. Don't come for someone's esophagus. Just go for their brand of champagne. And then there's tons of footage of Erica obsessing over the jewelry. I mean, that's her that's her thing, right? She she loves a sparkly thing. And in her confessional, she's like, well, you know, I love the jewelry, but I don't want to fight. I'm good. I don't need any more diamonds. I don't want to fight in court over any more rocks. I'm like, well, that's not true because you're still doing it. You can let those earrings go whenever you want to, but you're not going to. 
And she, I think, either hands Crystal a ring or is looking at one that she's looking at. And she's like, mm, just call Rob and say, get your ring. And like, oh, Erica, Crystal has a very successful coconut water company. She can afford her own rings. It's a strange concept to you. And then we cut to Sutton and she's making herself a strong drink in the kitchen. She's pouring. <laughs> she just literally like got a bottle of liquor from somewhere. And she's pouring herself a strong drink. And I'm like, you, you get it. Get lit and stay lit at this event. So then, of course, Erica can't let it go. And she goes over to Crystal and she's like, well, thank you for your apology. And she's going on and on about how she appreciated it. And she wished that she got apologies from, you know, the rest of the women. I wish I wish other people I knew. And as they're having this conversation, 8.5 Anne sees that I'm sure a camera is on them and she walks over and says, Crystal, can I borrow you for a minute? And she takes her away from the group of women to a different part of the house. And when they are talking, she's like, I just want to pull you aside and talk through our differences. Now, if you were to say to me, there's a woman who wants to pull you aside and talk through your differences, or you could step in puppy poop with a pair of thin socks. I'd be like, I'm going to go with the puppy poop. If you said to me that 8.5 Anne wants to talk with you about your differences, or you could try to get gum out of your hair for four hours, I'd be like, I'm going to go with the gum. If you said to me that um, 8.5 Anne wanted to work through our differences or I would have like an itch right in the middle of your back where you can't really reach it and the itch would last the whole day, I would take the itch. So they're talking and 8.5 Anne says to Crystal like, I don't want you to see like my passion as anger, you know? And she's just making just the weirdest things. I don't know. She's not a good communicator as I think what I've figured out about 8.5 Anne. I think she's so worried about how she comes off and trying to seem whatever, that she doesn't focus on how is what I'm saying being interpreted by the person I'm talking to. And so when it's Crystal's turn to say something, she's like, I think we just, you know, agree to disagree. And I was like, that's a perfect response. She was very nice about it. She's like, you know, we're going to keep it moving. We're going to stay pleasant. We're just going to agree to disagree. And I was like, that's right. That's all of us and Anne. We just agree to disagree, Anne. You're happy with 8.5. We're happy that you're happy with 8.5. We don't have to get it, you know? You don't have to get us. We're just going to agree to disagree on this one. And uh, everybody, everybody is watching this from another room. They're all seeing that Crystal and 8.5 Anne are talking and they're giggling like, oh, we're all watching them. But it's mostly Kyle because you know she loves that. And so Sutton starts talking about her date and saying um, that they're probably going to see each other again, but like they haven't kissed yet. It'll be their third date that they go on next time. She says like the guy is the one who said that to her. This guy, Steve, was like, you know, we haven't kissed yet. Steve is very forward. And again, I don't think that's the way to go with Sutton. So Erica, being the couth, chill person that she is, butts in with, well, he's just trying to get a BJ, honey. And then we get Erica and her confessional because she loves to talk about a BJ. No one's ever complained about my BJs and I don't have a small esophagus. <laughs> and I'm like, that's weird. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you not want to tell people that you have a giant garage sized esophagus? Wouldn't, don't you want someone to think that you have a small esophagus? Like, isn't that the goal, you know? But what do I know, Erica? So they're all joking about BJ's. And for some reason, they all decide that Kyle is the one who's probably the best and most frequent at it because she has a lot of stuff, I guess, or because she shops so much. I don't know. But either way, Kyle's smirking. And I'm like, 
I'm not sure of a lot of things in life, but I'm pretty sure Kyle has not serviced that arena for Mo in a long time, if their behavior at the bar was any indication. Barking up the wrong BJ on this one. But they stretch that out for a beat too long, and then we move on to um, Erica, who decides that she's going to triple down and to all the ladies make a speech. Because 8.5 and Crystal came back and they said, you know, uh, I think we're good now and we're all just moving forward. So Erica saw that as an opportunity to be like, on that note, I think we should all, you know, stick up for each other more. And I want to talk about something that has been on my heart. And I have talked about it in therapy as well. I went through something very difficult. And I'm like, here we go. She's starting. And she's like, and this group as a whole were not there for me. And half of me wants an apology from certain people in the group uh, that didn't believe in me. The other half. And right then when she says people didn't believe in me, Sutton puts her hand in the air. And I'm like, Sutton already broke. Sutton already broke. And it's easy to understand why. You know, she's on this high of everybody getting along. First of all, she's tipsy for shipsy. Secondly, she's been on a high of everybody getting along. I think she's a happy drunk is what I'm saying. There's nothing better than a happy drunk. It's just a joy when you meet a happy drunk. They're full of love. Even people that bother me, I'm nice to when I would have a drink or two in me. And I think that's where Sutton is because her little arm shot up into the sky, but Erica wasn't done. So as soon as she realized that, she put her little arm back down and Erica kept going. The other half of me says no. If they wanted to apologize, they would. And Dorit jumps in per usual because Dorit always has to make it about her. and like, no, don't group me into this. I was good. And Dorit's like, but yeah, yes, but Erica, you don't believe that I wasn't supportive. I mean. And Erica, you know, her memory, she picks and chooses when she wants to uh, remember actual facts that matter. But she says, when we were all at Kathy's dinner, you said that we were all pulled into it. And even I didn't remember what the heck she was talking about. So thankfully did a flashback. And it was back when I think everything had really initially hit about the Girardi scandal. And uh, everybody was talking about how, like, whether or not they want to be a part of it, like, they're they're part of it because they're on the show with her and there's going to be a lot of focus on her and on the show and footage and whatever. And so Dorit was just, it seems to me, saying that, like, whether or not we want to be a part of this, like, whoever's just said that, probably Sutton, is right. Like, we are a part of this. You know, we're in this with you. And I guess that stuck with Erica and bothered her enough that she remembered it years later. And Dorit says, well, that one line. That one line negates all the support after. And Erica says, I didn't say that. And in her confessional, you know, with her braids look or whatever, uh, they cut to Dorit and she's like saying how hard it was to support Erica when it all first hit and how she didn't make it easy. And she had no empathy quote. And I said, whoa, to myself, like Dorit saw it too. We all saw it and people got mad about people saying, well, don't blame Erica. Nobody was blaming her. People were saying like, how can you be throwing fuel on the fire when all of this hits? She was so awful when it all hit. And then Dorit's going off again and she's like, and she couldn't talk about it. And the new shocking articles were coming out every day. And Coyle and I, we had blind support. And it's like, yeah, you all, you all did because you really didn't read the articles. So Dorit's mad that she's not getting the credit for falling in line when she did fall in line. And she did. She pushed a tiny bit, but she got checked every time by somebody in the clique. And there's that famous reunion that I'll never forget where Erica's wearing like a pink dress 
it was the reunion after it all hit. And uh, Dorit pushes a few times in the reunion asking her questions. And she's sitting next to Rinna. And Rinna leans over and taps her leg to shut her up when she asks another question. I'll never forget that. And then it's Kyle's turn to be like, but, but. And Kyle's like, I took issue with how you handled it. Not the, not saying like blaming you for it, but it was how you were. And that's accurate. She was horrible. And then we go to where I think the attention was really directed. Is I don't think Erica said any of this for Kyle and Dorit. I think this whole time it was about going after Crystal, Garcelle, and Sutton. The three women who had legitimate concerns on behalf of the victims. The three women who threw threw a flag in the air whenever she would say something horrible about the victims or denying the situation. And so the attention goes on to Garcelle and Garcelle looks her right in the eye and she says to her, I didn't want you to fall, but I have my opinion and I'm going to stick by that forever. Slow clap. Slow clap, Garcelle, because she wants everybody. She's going to turn on the tears. She wants everybody to forget how horrible she was, and we never will. And Garcelle can have her opinion. And if you want to change someone's opinion, you don't just get to say to them, I'm mad, I don't like your opinion. Why don't you change it with your actions? You know, but I don't think that would ever occur to her. But Sutton, again, has been drinking a lot. I think she apologized four or five times. She said, I'm sorry. She's like, I'm sorry. Like, I feel really bad. I think a lot of that came from me and a lot of that hurt and the blame that was not yours. Erica starts crying and Sutton, that makes Sutton feel even worse. And I'm like, she's playing you like a fiddle. Devil went down to Georgia style. And we do flashbacks and we see Sutton being like, you know, there are some stories that don't add up. And like this $25 million that went into your account. And like, how did you not know about that? These are all valid. And none of them were mean. And none of them were bullying Erica. These are all valid questions. And so Sutton has apologized for making it, for hurting Erica's feelings and for whatever. And Erica is crying. Very daytime Emmy. Very soap opera. Patting at her eyes and saying like, it never had to be this way. I'm like, that's just so overly melodramatic. What do you mean it never had to be this way? Never had to be what way? People absolutely would and should question things. I don't understand what never had to be this way. And if there's anyone who was in control of how things were or had to be, it's you. This is your situation. These women asked you questions because of your behavior. So that was tough to watch. It really was, especially after just coming out of the, you know, uh, Housewife and the Hustler part two, seeing all the victims and how cold she was in the meeting with the victims. But yet she's crying again for herself and no one else. Really tough. But Sutton's very sweet. And she's like, seeing Erica cry, I feel like she's needed this apology from me. But Kyle's still not over it. And Kyle's like, well, if you didn't think that I was supportive, like, I'm sorry. I'm like, Kyle, Dorit, this wasn't about you. She's trying to break Garcelle, Sutton, and Crystal. And then she's saying in her confessional, Oh, I guess I'm just never going to get the apologies that I was hoping for from everyone. I'm like, that's right. That's right. You won't get apologies from everyone. Just like you're never going to apologize for the victims. And you didn't apologize to the victims. You apologized on behalf of Tom and on behalf of others, but never for yourself and your own actions. So yeah, we all have a lot to accept, don't we? Oh, it was so tough because then her next line is, oh, it's really nice for Sutton to acknowledge her behavior. Acknowledge her behavior. It was good for Sutton to acknowledge her behavior. The thing you wouldn't do, the one thing the victims wanted from you. 
the one reason why they had that sit down that created Housewife and the Hustler Part 2, thankfully, because they wanted to sit down at a table with you, look you in the eye, have you see them as human beings and ask you to stop calling them alleged victims and being horrible about them on a show where you have people who are listening to what you're saying and the victims have no platform. So you're calling them alleged to the whole world and that gets written about and a lot of feeble-minded accounts are running around thinking that's the truth. They would have loved you to acknowledge your behavior to them, but you wouldn't do that. And she's still completely obtuse going off about it like, oh, I appreciate the acknowledging because that's all I ever wanted in the first place. And I'm again, I'm yelling, I'm yelling in my house to no one like, that's all the victims ever wanted to. That's it right there. That simple thing that you think is so simple and that the women should give you, that you think you deserve it, that the victim actually do, they actually do deserve it. So then she, again, is happy with herself and she says like, okay, well, I've let this go now. Let's go fight about someone else. And she does like a really loud kind of cackle again. So, uh, yeah. So Erica got an apology from Sutton and no one else, but I think that appeased her. And then we get into previews and we see Sutton telling her daughter never to lose herself, I suppose, in a relationship or a marriage because it's really hard to get yourself back, she says. We see Dorit and PK, he's talking about extending his trip and they're going back and forth and bickering about that. And he's saying like, well, I wouldn't have extended my trip eight months ago if I'm known you wanted me to. And she's saying to him like, I just really want you to come home. He's like, can I get a word in? And I'm like, why? Just let him just be like, have fun. I'll see you never. Like, stay gone then. Stay gone then. I don't I don't know what they're doing with this storyline. And as usual with PK and Dorit, I don't, I don't know what's real with them either. But it's really hard to see Dorit talking with this sassy man-child kind of guy and wanting him to come home. Like, you want him to come home? I'd be like, guess what, Bubba? I extended your trip by another three months. Like, that's more of what I think you should say. And then I think next episode is really going to focus on uh, Erica. And so I'm not looking forward to that. There's going to be her new Pat the Push show premiere that she's doing. And it looks like a stadium of some kind. And she's dressed in like a hooded white uh, robe, like a boxer. And she is going to come out and dance for the ladies. And I'm sure a select audience as a way of kicking off her Vegas residency, $7 tickets. And then, oh, a People Magazine story hits. We don't know the exact details, and I don't remember them. There's too much that goes on in, in the news cycle to trace back X months and what was it that actually hit. But I believe just deductive reasoning from seeing Kyle and Mauricio weep and then sit down with their daughters and also weep that it was a People Magazine article about them and maybe how their marriage wasn't doing well. Maybe that they were separating. I don't know. We'll hear about it next week. But they're all sitting with their daughters at the end. And they're all saying, like, we're still, you know, a loving family and things like that. And I'm like, I can't believe y'all are doing this on camera. Is this is this really legitimately the first time you're talking to your daughters about this? Or is everybody just crying because it's always going to be sad when you talk about it? I don't know. But reality shows go to such places that sometimes when they do things on camera, I'm like, I feel like this should not be on camera. And that's the weirdness of watching Kyle and Mauricio, who, again, don't talk about some of the realest things on camera, but then show us like toenail clippings and weird stuff and crying and family stuff on camera to where I'm like, don't you don't want to keep that private? Okay. But that's the episode. We made it. That's the recap. It was a lot. And then it also didn't seem like a lot happened, but maybe it's because so much happened. So many iconic things happened during the Spain travel, then to come home and just do like a jewelry party seemed like not a lot happened. Now I am going to be traveling 
I will soon be traveling at the end of next week. So I have to really think about how I'm going to plan my life in these pods. I'm hoping to not miss one. So I'm letting you know ahead of time that my time management skills are going to be tested. I'm going to try to record three pods this week so I can release them in my absence. We'll see how it goes. But this might be a good time to get into my recap of this book that one of the victims wrote. So I'm going to try to do that for you all and have two episodes of that hit next week when I'm running around this world. In the meantime, you know what to do, pretty please. Like, subscribe to this pod, tell a friend to tell a friend. And whatever you do, don't be like Erica. Don't demand an apology if you're the last person capable of giving one. <laughs> <laughs>